Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast focused on blending research and practical advice to help today's HR, talent, and learning leaders improve business outcomes. Let's welcome your host, Ben Eubanks. Hello, everybody. This is Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human, and I'm so glad to have you here. Today, I've got to be honest, I'm going to go a little fanboy. I am so thrilled to be able to interview, I don't know if I like the term heroes, but uh, it, it fits, I guess. Um, a couple years ago, I was speaking at an event, and right after me, a gentleman got up. His name was Chester Elton, and Chester talked about motivating, encouraging, rewarding your team to drive the best performance. And to be honest, I was blown away. Just a great great presentation. He's world-class. Um, his writing is phenomenal. His speaking is phenomenal. And right after the session was over, uh, my session had already completed. And so we were both heading to the airport and we decided to share a cab together. And that was such a fun moment for me because I'm sitting here just getting started in writing, just getting started in speaking and soaking up anything I can. And he had been at this for a little while. He had again, phenomenal performer and communicator. And so I had the chance to just sit and chat with him in that on that taxi ride and learn from him. And today I get the chance to actually interview Chester and his co-author, Adrian Gostick, about their new book, The Best Team Wins. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. I love it because there's a great blend of research. There's a lot of quantitative data backing this up, but there's also a lot of stories. They do a great job of injecting stories in there to help you understand a topic, up, understand a concept, the practical applications. So it's just a great, great conversation. I love it. And actually, we're doing a special giveaway. So thank you to the publisher for, for deciding to agreeing to give me a couple books, but here's how it works. You're going to share the podcast episode on your LinkedIn feed. You're going to tag me so I get a notification and can enter you. And then you're going to tag two or three of the best people that you've ever worked with. Take a minute. Think about that for a second. Who are some of the best people, the best teams you ever worked with? Maybe there's more than three. Maybe there's ten. You know, maybe you have a longer career or maybe there's just, you know, one or two. It doesn't matter. But take a moment and think about that. And that process enters you into the contest to win a copy of the book. Again, courtesy of Simon & Schuster. Thank you to them for, for um offering up a couple copies uh, to let us try this out. So I have several of those to give away. Get out there and start tagging. Reminder, share the episode on LinkedIn. Tag me so I can make sure and add add you to the contest. Then tag two or three of your best people that you've ever worked with. Pretty easy, pretty simple. But uh, I'm hoping that this kind of one of those is one of those things that a lot of people can kind of get in, get in on and share and connect, tell some stories about why those people matter. If I was going to do this, I can't enter my own contest, but if I was going to enter, I would talk about my one of my former bosses, Christine. She was something phenomenal. She was really great at helping to guide my career. I think I actually talk about her a little bit during the interview about some of the things that she did to help help me sculpt my job and find those things that I loved, find those things that I needed to grow and advance in my career early on when I was stepping into HR. And she's one of those people that I'll never, ever forget. Another one of my good friends was Alan. He really guided me and mentored me in my early days in HR and helped me to kind of see the the bigger picture sometimes when I was very narrowly focused and so again there's there's so many people that I would love to recognize but again I can't enter my own contest so tag those people share those stories help to spread the word about this book because again it's it's phenomenal it's one of those things that it's going to help you guide you lead you to better performance from your people and as HR leaders that's one thing that we always are looking for so hope you enjoy the show 
let's get into it. Welcome, everybody. This has been Eubanks, host of We're Only Human. Today, I have not just one, but two amazing guests I'm really excited to speak with. These are world-class authors, thinkers, speakers, and we get the honor of learning from them both on today's show. I'd like to welcome Chester Elton and Adrian Gostick to the show. Thanks, Ben. Absolutely. That, that was Adrian, so thanks, Ben. This is Chester. <laughs> awesome. So, Chester, since you're going to chime in and, and be the uh, the narrator for your, your half the team, um, why don't you start us off, tell us who you are, what you do, then we can kick it over to Adrian. Sure. So my name is Chester Elton, and for about the last 20 years, Adrian Gostick, my good friend and co-author, we've been studying what it, what it takes to create a great culture at work where people are engaged, enabled, and energized and uh, feel good about what they do. And we, we consult all over the world, and this uh, book we're talking about is our 11th book together. We're really proud of it. So thanks for asking. Absolutely. Anything to add, Adrian? No, it's, I think, uh, you know, Chester's covered it, is that, uh, yeah, we, we get to work with a lot of great organizations around the world, um, helping them define their cultures, and our work has taken us into teams and really studying the, the challenges of, of modern teamwork. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I haven't read all 11. I didn't realize there were that many. Goodness, I don't know if it catches up <laughs> on you or surprises you, but I haven't read all 11 yet, apparently. Um, but this latest one, I, I got a copy of it, and I'm so pumped about it. I've really enjoyed it. I uh, Actually, to tell you how much I enjoyed the book, I was in the Caribbean on a cruise last week, and I was reading your book while I was there yeah. because it was that that interesting, that informative. So <laughs> it's, it's already making the way around the world, um, in case you didn't realize that. That is awesome. Thank oh, you. Goodness. So – you mentioned teams. Give us kind of a 15-second pitch, I guess, or just an explanation of what the book is about, why they should read it, because I think you know, we're going to dig into some deeper concepts through the conversation today. But just give us that quick headline about why this is important. Yeah. Now, the book is called The Best Team Wins, and you know, there's been a lot written on teamworks, teamwork, and yet nobody really has written a book uh, for the modern age. Really, what does it take to lead a team today? You know, we've got millennials coming into the workplace. Uh, you know, we're, we're, the speed of change is just accelerated. We're all supposed to work cross-functionally, but nobody knows how. So how are the best leaders leading teams today? And this is where our 850,000-person research study comes in, showing really what the best team leaders are doing differently. And a lot of it just shatters you know, preconceived thinking about, about leadership and about how we run our teams. Absolutely. Excellent. That's a good intro because I think one of the things that we always kind of default to or you can't, you know, you can't turn out reading an article about open offices and things like that or the new collaboration tools. And one of the things early on you talk about in the book is how those are nice, but those don't necessarily equal improvements in how teams actually function and operate together. Why do you think companies no, default to that? This is well, it's interesting. You know, this is Chester Chairman, and, and you, what you said is exactly right. You know, we, we live in such a complex workforce now with multi-generational people, and, and sometimes we think, okay, well, we'll just change the layout of the office, or we'll put in a foosball table, you know, and that makes us modern and fun. But really, uh, you know, what you've got to do is you've got to focus on the on the individual, get to know each one and, and what their motivators are and what really, you know, uh, gets them excited to come to work. You know, we, we talk a lot about the old school is that, you know, you had Paula that applied to everybody and that was fair. But but the, the, the new team leaders and the most high productive teams, they know each other as individuals. You know, you've got four to five generations in the workplace and it's more diverse than ever. And not just in gender or race, but in thinking and background and language and, and family structure and so on. So, you know, good leaders kind of understand that, but they're really extraordinary leaders. They find the time, they take the time to get to know each individual uh, man 
member of the team and how to integrate them into a high-performance team. Does that make sense? It absolutely does, and that, that leads into the conversation. One of the pieces in the book that I really enjoyed, and honestly, I've coached managers on this as an HR leader for years, and it's hard to get them to kind of bite on it, but it's all about managing to the one. That's what you call it in the book, and I, I love the idea. Can you explain a little more about what the concept is and how it can help managers make that transition to doing that? Yeah, this is this is Adrian, Ben, and uh, one of the things, you were exactly right, we, we found – in our research, you know, look, we've been talking about employee engagement now for 30 years, uh, and yet people are no more engaged than they were three decades ago. Why? Well, we try to tend to manage everybody the same. We tend to think people are all motivated in the same way, and they're not. One of the things we've found in our research is that the, the number one driver right now of if you want to engage people is developing their careers. This is, But it's something that has to be done very individually. Now, so we can paint with a broad, broad brush that people want to have their careers developed. It doesn't mean they all want to become the CEO, but they want to learn and grow and try new things out. But we have to do that one by one by understanding really what motivates them. And that means sculpting their jobs a little bit, it means giving them a little bit more to do that, of what they find motivating, a little less of what frustrates them. But I mean, like you said, Ben, though, a lot of times we get pushback from managers who say, oh, gee, I don't have time for that. You know, I got 20 people who work for me. Well, we find, though, this doesn't have to take a lot of time. I mean, it can be 15, 30 minutes every month or so. But when you care about my career, I'm going to start caring about what you want me to care about. Absolutely. Help enough people get what they want, and they'll help you get what you want. Right? That's what we always exactly. exactly. That's a good example of that for sure. Uh, talk practically a little bit about the job sculpting idea, because that's one of the things, again, in the book that I, I've seen good managers do over the years, but I've never seen it kind of outlined and spelled out about how that can become a, a practice that everyone can do. Again, everybody wants to feel like things are tailored to them. We all feel like, you know, uh, <laughs> there was one thing in the book that, that was, um, I can't remember the exact line, but it made me think that our Netflix algorithm knows us better than our manager does at times because it knows the things we like it knows the things that we're interested in and those managers don't don't do that are there some practical ideas you can give to to help managers kind of take that first step to do that job sculpting piece a little better yeah absolutely you know we talk about uh, aspirational conversations and as adrian mentioned you know, it doesn't have to take a lot of time, but frequency is important. It can take 10 to 15 minutes. And the aspirational part of it is where you sit people down and you really get to know where they want to be two or three years from now. You know, ask them questions like, what do you think we're really good at? What are some areas where we can improve? You know, get their ideas out of their pockets and, and into your business. Create a safe place for people to challenge the status quo and say, hey, you know, at this other company I was at, but we had the same kind of issues with our customer service, you know, um, response time. Here's what we did, and you know, complaints went down by 85%. That, those those kinds of ideas and, and and so on will come into your business if there's trust and there's a relationship, and and that's what we're talking about when we talk about job sculpting and having aspirational conversations. I think one of the most important questions team members can ask their people is, where do you want to be two to three years from now, and how can I help you get there? Again, doesn't have to take a lot of time, but instead of doing it like once a year or semi-annually like we do with you know our our, um, our reporting in and what have you done for me lately kind of thing, is do it monthly. You know, do it as often as you think is is needed. And if you keep if you're well prepared and you keep it to that 10 maybe 15 minute kind of engagement, it's 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 like a little uh, survey that you're doing, a little spot survey. Trust goes up, relationships goes up, and 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 you get the uh, get the results you're looking for. Is that helpful? 
Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. And it's funny because when I read the term aspirational conversations, that's the second time I've actually seen that. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a case study on a firm that uh, taught talk consultancy services, you know, nearly 400,000 global employees. And they actually make that part of their standard talent practices. And when you look at their leadership of the company, the CEO, the CFO, and the CTO all started as trainees in the firm. And wow. that's a part of their culture is just we want to know what you aspire to be. And that's a that seems like it's almost a maturity issue for some managers to say, you know, hey, I want you to stay here. You're on my team, and I hired you for this role, so just do it and be quiet. And at the same time, you just, you just mentioned a minute ago some of the research is really pointing towards we need to help people figure out what's next, what they want to do, you know, even if they don't know yet what they want to do, guiding them towards that next thing. And I think the job sculpting piece of that, let's give you more of what you like, and is really going to help to, to guide that sort of conversation and guide that sort of decision on their part. Oh, sure, absolutely. You know, and one of the things too is we have to remember is that you know some people want to want to grow in their roles. They want to become the next CEO, but others, uh, you know, everybody though wants to grow and develop. And and so one of the things we found this could be really helpful. Like we had one manager we interviewed for the book, Diane Weed, who's a vice president of the Wendy's Corporation. You know, she oversees all the Wendy's restaurants in the Rocky Mountain area, so thousands and thousands of employees, and she has eight direct reports who oversee all the restaurants and. She, she went through this process of figuring out how to manage to the one. She figured out all of her employees' motivators, realized that one of her employees had pressure as her 23rd motivator out of 23, where for Diane, it's number one. Well, do you think that was creating some sort of, you know, some, you know, some, some, some problems in the workplace? Yeah. Diane would give her assignments. Give me this tomorrow because that's what Diane loves is that idea of pressure. And yet it was forcing this employee to think about looking for other work because she didn't really understand why everything was so frustrating. So as they started working and sculpting their job, this employee then had the words to use to say, you know, it's really frustrating to me when you put this kind of pressure on me. I do better work when you give me a little time, a little advance. And Diane was surprised. She thought everybody thought like her. And that's one thing we find is that we're not all the same, and yet we tend to look through you know, our own rose-colored glasses of the world. Everybody's the way we are, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Chester, do you have anything else to add there before we move on to the next one? Well, you know, Adrian just is so good about putting that in context. I, I love the aspirational conversations. I love building rapport. You know, what Adrian's talking about is how do you communicate better? You know, how are you opening the channels of communication? I love at the end of aspirational conversations when people keep it positive. You know, one great question a manager shared with us is at the end, he always likes to say, so what do you think your greatest contribution to the team has been lately? You know, what are you really proud of? I mean, let people tell you what, again, back to their passions. You know, I, I think I'm really good about bringing people together to solve problems under pressure, or I'm really good about developing a great rapport with our clients. You know, let them talk about what they're passionate about and what their contributions have been. I love aspirational conversations that finish on a, on a positive note. It, it leaves a good, a good taste in everybody's mouth. <laughs> one, of the, one of the last points I'll make on that one, I think, is uh, there was a piece in the book, um, a page that I, I read it and I laughed out loud, actually, because it's something that, that I love. It said that people might actually like micromanagement from their leaders if it's focused on the right things. If it's focused on their career aspects, if it's focused on their growth versus focused just on, uh, again, what have you done for me lately? Here's your checklist of tasks. Are you doing this, doing that? Here's how you do that. They don't want to be managed in their work tasks necessarily, but in their careers. And I loved you guys making that point. Yeah, you know, when was the last time you went home and told your significant other, oh, 
I just wish they would micromanage me more at the <laughs> office. You know, it never happens, right? But yeah, because you're exactly right, Ben. What we find is that people want to be closely managed on their careers. Career development has replaced pay as the number one reason why people leave an organization. Uh, we, we actually interviewed some of the, uh, the leaders of the Harvard Business School's uh, uh, placement uh, uh, firm. And so these are the folks looking for, for jobs for the Harvard MBAs. And they have found that now, uh, instead of pay or, or, or career opportunities, it's actually career development that their graduates are looking for. When somebody says, we're going to make a commitment, to helping you grow in your career. Every month we're going to meet with you as an organization, as your, and your manager will do this to help you grow. Are you getting the right opportunities, the right training, the right cross, cross-functional teams to work on, etc.? When, when they get, when they hear those words as a newly minted Harvard MBA, they're more likely to sign, we find. So, you know, all of us are going to be much more engaged when somebody's worrying about this. It just makes sense. The, you know, the, the, the question is then how do you do it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of taking a new job, let's, let's jump topics just a little bit because this is another area that I found really fascinating. You guys talk about rapid onboarding in the book a little bit, and you have, there's, a lot of, there's some really neat research behind that, and I'd love for you to touch on that a little bit because I want to talk about the importance of why it matters to onboard someone quickly, and then I want to talk about how they can get better at it. But can you speak to some of the research for a second before we jump into this? Well, sure. You know, we, we took a look at uh, traditional teams as opposed to modern teams. And traditional teams, you know, you had time to get people situated and, you know, uh, bring them along. And, and you had months, sometimes a year to get people up to speed. Well, the, the, the reason it's so important now is because people are not staying in their jobs nearly as long as they used to. You know, baby boomers, if you had three or four different jobs, that was a lot. Now we're finding with the millennial generation, they're moving every every year and a half, two and a half, three years. So you've got to get people up and productive as quickly as possible. Some of the ways that companies have done that is they bring people in right away and assign them mentors or they have them talk to three or four key people that they're going to need to know. Uh, we did some really nice work with Danaher. And when they come into Danaher, they spend a lot of time acclimating people to the culture, sending them to different departments. And, um, you know, I forget the name of the manager there, Adrian, that you talk her through at length where she'd say, here are the five people that I want you to go to and get to know. They're going to help you get things done in the organization. Remember, she was amazing. Yeah, her name was Melissa Aquino, who's one of the vice presidents of Danaher. And uh, if you're not familiar with Danaher, 70,000 employees the third fastest growing stock over the last three decades uh, of any stock. And so it's, it's one of these companies that is just really, really well run. And one of the things they do when they bring people in, and not a lot of companies can do this, but they you do not do your job for full three months. In fact, you're touring the system. You're learning the Danaher way of doing business. You You don't answer emails. You don't go to meetings. You are learning. And they find that this has cut turnover just dramatically, where people come in and they understand the, the importance of doing business in the Danaher way. And it's also one of the ways that they, you know, that they've become so wildly successful. Now, you know, of course, your HR professionals listening to, to your show, Ben, can't, can't do that. But what we can do is make onboarding more of a formal, rigid process. And as, as Chester mentioned, you know, there's a lot of things we, we noticed and we outline in the book that great organizations are doing, like, you know, creating an immediate sense of security in their people, creating affiliations. So they're creating relationships and networks from day one. You know, they're building context. So helping people, again, from day one, understand 
how they fit in. And, and boy, these simple things happen. And, and the acceleration that happens within modern teams is really phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that, that's uh, the concept of really assimilating into the culture is one that, that I think is, is critical because a lot of companies, again, they throw them in the deep end. If they give them any training at all, if they give your <laughs> your computer, you meet your manager on the first day even. I, I used to think that was that was uh, table stakes, and now I, I hear that it's not be taken for granted in some cases because it's just not as common for people to pay attention to those those details that matter in that uh, critical honeymoon stage, I guess we call it, for the new hires and stuff. But I think that – Again, that, that assimilation period, really getting them introduced to new people. I love the example of saying, hey, these, these are five people that you need to connect with and know, understand what they do, why they do it, and why they matter to your role. Because those kind of things really matter for us in a tangible way when we're starting a new role. We have to do that usually by feel. You know, Close your eyes, feel your way around, hoping to, hoping to stumble across the right people to help you do your job because that's not a strategic way that most companies approach that. You're exactly right. You know, it's kind of interesting you talk about if you get a computer that works your first day, you, you meet your manager, that, uh, that's best in class. <laughs> and, and what we're finding is really the, the, the really great teams, the really extraordinary teams, they, they've got a discipline about it. You know, they know when to expect you. They know who you're going to need to know. Uh, and, and Danaher really is best in class. Think about that. You take three months to make sure you really understand the culture. You really understand how to get things done. You think those people are integrated and just, you know, firing and ready to go? Of course they are. And as Adrian said, not only does it benefit the organization that turnovers down, but now you've got an employee that on day one after that training, they know exactly what to do. They know how to do it. That anxiety is gone. They feel a part of the team, and you've set them up for success. It's extraordinary. Well, I know that one of the one of the uh, one of the gentlemen that was mentioned in the book, in terms of a, you know, kind of profiled him going through that process as an onboarded employee. He said, you know, I was worried about, are they going to program me? Are they going to brainwash me? Are they going to change? And th that's not the focus. But at the same time, they've got to do some unlearning in that first three the, the first three month period, right? They're they're going to they're not just learning. Hey, this is how we do things. But maybe, hey, you know what? This I can modify this and adapt this this new pro this new process, this culture, this you know all those good things that are coming to them because they're not being pulled in different directions by work tasks and everything else. It's not this little sideline conversation happening. It is their main channel of communication, their main focus for that initial period. It's just an amazing kind oh, of concept. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and, you know, we've seen so many other great organizations that we profile in teams, like Netflix, you know, which bring when they bring somebody into their team, uh, before you join, they, there's a 100-page a slide deck. Now, there's only a few words on each slide, so it goes pretty quick, but uh, they've really put some thought into this. This is their culture deck, and they send it to you before you join, and you flip through, and they're very simple concepts like, look, we'll, in our culture, we never say anything behind somebody's back that we wouldn't say to their faces, little simple things like that, and they show how they apply so that when you walk through the front door uh, on your first day at Netflix as a programmer or whatever you are in the warehouse, you understand the culture and what's expected of you. So, you know, as, as, as we mentioned before, you know, we used to think that it took a year to get somebody up to speed. Now we have a couple of weeks. And this is how great organizations are doing it. They're becoming much more deliberate about helping define their team culture or their overall culture and how you are going to make an impact as an individual. Yes, absolutely. And I know the Netflix example, it was that was partially put out there because they were growing so quickly. Think about the, the impact of hiring a handful of people for your team and changing that makeup. Now, you know, double, triple, quadruple that in a month or two months over a, a period of time and see how 
quickly that could change things, and that was their way of kind of codifying what their culture looked like for those those people that were coming in so quickly, right? Exactly. exactly. And, and really Good. smart. Yeah. Just really smart. You know, it's it's it's. It, I think the key words, and, and Adrian used them, is to be intentional and have a discipline about it. You know, really figure out what it is your what it is to be a part of your culture. What does that mean? What is acceptable behavior? What is unacceptable behavior? And just hammer that home, you know, whether it's through a slide deck or aspirational conversations or interactions with your team. You know, culture is an everyday thing. And the team leaders have to make sure that every day they're modeling that that successful behavior. And, you know, to that point, at the back half of our book, we give 101 tips on how to engage your team. You know, little things that you can be doing all the time to reinforce those good behaviors. So when you say, you know, what are, what are some uh, tips for managers? Well, we, we literally called all our great contacts, all those, all those great case studies, and came up with a 101 little tips to help you do exactly that. Well, good. If you can't leave us hanging, Chester, come on, give us one or two. <laughs> well, my favorite one is cheer for your home team. You know, uh, we talk about this all the time. You know, uh, there used to be this big thing about work-life balance, work-life balance. Well, since the invention of the smartphone, there is no work-life balance. There's so many of this just work right, 24-7. And uh, I, I love the expression now where there's work work-life harmony. That's what you're looking for is harmony. And a big part of that, of course, is your family. So all these things that we put together, 850,000 surveys, 50,000 motivator surveys, all these case studies, yeah, it will make a great team for you at work. It's, it's, it's rock solid, the, the thinking, the, the case studies, and so on. Don't the people that are the most important people in our lives, you know, our spouses, our partners, our, our kids, our extended family. So these aspirational conversations, these being kind, what is our culture, what is acceptable behavior, and so on, these applications make for great families too. And I think that was one of my, my really fun takeaways of, of all the research we did. Excellent. Excellent. Wonderful. So, goodness, this has been really excellent. So tell me, guys, um, any closing comments, any ideas? This is your last chance to encourage someone, I think, um, to pick it up because I, I'm going to do it heartily. Uh, I'm uh, highly recommending it. The Best Team Wins. It's a wonderful book. And, again, I've, I enjoyed it uh, so far, and it's, I've already got my uh, my notes, my post-it notes in there to go back through and highlight some things and take it back out and gently, kindly, but firmly coach some, coach some people in my own life <laughs> that need to hear some of these things. But uh, any last comments or ideas that are worth sharing here that you think people need to know? Well, I'll give one last one uh, before we uh, close, Ben. And thanks again for your interest in our work and your support. It, that's that's really heartening. Um, one of the things that I probably would say is that, uh, you know, the way we have done business in the past no longer is going to work in the in this day and age. We we all know we live in this, you know, volatile, complex world that's that's changing so rapidly. Well, we have to make a change ourselves. And it is not making a change with using more technology or more or more tools. It is actually getting back to, to understanding some of the soft things, you know, helping people develop their careers, you know, thanking people, understanding a clear mission and articulating it. So what we have found actually is the, the best modern team leaders are are softer than their than their peers they but they you know they still have uh, you know hard as hard as flint edge to them in the business side but when they when they're working with their people they really understand the heart and and they're because of that they're able to accomplish great things excellent Love yeah that. i just piggyback that 
I would piggyback on that really quickly. You know, if we found that, you know, the old school was you looked at experience and CV and education and so on. And those made for, you know, good managers because they were technically capable. The really extraordinary managers had those soft skills. They cared about their people. You know, my favorite story in the book is the commander of the International Space Station, the guy we got to know. And, and it was it was really interesting. He said, we exceeded every expectation in the six months we were up there. His, his name is Chris Hadfield. He's Canadian. And he said, but the reason we excelled is because we had an unwritten rule that every astronaut had to perform a random act of kindness for every other astronaut every day. And because of that, we never had heated arguments. We never had hurt feelings. And they were simple little things like, I'll, I'll clean up. I'll do the calculations. Let me let me cook dinner. But the message is very clear. I care about you as a person. I'm cheering for you. I'm here for you. I'm going to pitch in. Uh, I love you. And I think that's the soft skills that great team leaders and great teams understand. They do random acts of kindness for each other that builds this extraordinary culture of productivity. I just love that concept, and it's an everyday kind of thing. Absolutely. That's a great point to end on. Thank you. So if someone wants to learn more about you guys, the work you're doing, or find out more about the book, what's the best way to do that? Oh, the book is available everywhere. Good books are sold. And uh, thecultureworks.com, that's thecultureworks.com is our, is our uh, corporation site. And we'd be uh, happy to, to have you there. There's some great giveaways if you buy the book in the next uh, little while here. So, and, and thanks again for your interest, Ben. We much, much appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you to both of you. You bet. Absolutely. Thanks again, gentlemen, for your time. This has been truly phenomenal. I hope the boat does just as well as your previous releases and that this message spreads because it's desperately needed. Um, to the rest of you out there in the listening audience, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. This has been Eubanks of We're Only Human, and I'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to We're Only Human. Please take a moment to share this episode with another HR leader who might see it as a valuable resource in their daily work. For more information about the podcast and to see all our show archives, please visit upstarthr.com.